Hey guys, I'm, I'm John Winkler. I'm one of uh, Dylan and Don's partners and really, really appreciate all of you being here. This was very inspiring. Um, each one of you, your message was incredible. Um, I uh, do a lot of work with our, our patient satisfaction and the, the big question on there I think that means the most to me, um, having had family members go through very, very serious illnesses, is do you feel cared about as a person? Um, this, sorry, this, this work of um, connecting with patients um, and Not sure. Okay. Sure. <laughs> um, I've really had a lot of heart-to-heart -heart conversations. Don and I both try to sit down at bedsides um, and kind of just really go into and connect with the patient, whether it's someone who's coming for um, an opiate problem, whether it's someone who's coming for acute pain. Um, and I've had a lot of, su of success um, connecting with patients, even from the initial visit, and explaining you know, what I'm gonna to prescribe to them for their acute pain, what I'm gonna do going home. And I'd really be interested to know your thoughts, especially for Mark, um, what are some of the, the ways that you manage up non-opiate pain medications? I have a lot of my own that I use, and uh, Dylan and I, and um, I think Don also are working on some scripting for that, for, for, for patient satisfaction. I really believe in the placebo effect. I think the more we manage up um, these non-narcotic stuff, uh, the more the placebo effect can add to what the, these non-opiates do. So I'd be interested in your scripting. Thank you. You know, uh, I'm glad you asked that question. And um, I have a, an answer for it um, that I think burnout, as we know it, uh, emergency medicine is one of the highest burnout rates of all the whole house of medicine. And I went into medicine to uh, relieve pain and ease suffering. And uh, what happens is I got to a point that I'll take care of a trauma patient or somebody who's burnt and dying, uh, and I'll pronounce them and I'll go on and see somebody else. And I don't connect to patients as a person any longer. When I started palliative care in the emergency department, I got to connect with my patients. And it made me live again as an emergency physician and change my career. And I think the same opportunity with managing pain. Um, you need to connect with your patient. And I think if you're sincere, the patient appreciates it. And if they're true and transparent about their pain and they really are suffering, then that conversation is going to mean a lot to their recovery. Nobody has to get to zero pain. They have to get to be functional. And if you can connect with them and make that point, it's going to mean a lot. When you see somebody like I did, Michael, and realize that maybe I started him on this road uh, to addiction, um, then uh, those couple minutes is preventative so that you don't do that to other patients as well. Thanks, everyone. As, as everyone else has said already tonight, we really appreciate what you guys have shared. Um, Lisa, a quick question for you related to harm reduction and kind of the, the principles and philosophy that you guys have. I'm a paramedic by trade and come from working on the streets and saw heroin overdoses in the streets of Denver on far too many occasions to count. And um, I saw patients in so many different 
realms in terms of their heroin addiction and, and stages of it. Um, and kind of my question is with harm reduction, do you do any kind of screening or what are your principles in terms of understanding where patients are at in terms of their addiction? And, and do you have different approaches to someone who has perhaps newly gotten into the drug and, and it's their you know, first time using heroin or they're early in the addiction versus someone who's perhaps in different stages of that? Do you profile that at all or do you have a standard approach? Great question. Um, we believe that the uh, it's a spectrum of change when we're from safer use to managed use to abstinence. Abstinence is a friend of harm reduction. It's just not a requirement. There's a lot of people who can manage opioid use. Rock stars do it all the time if they have the funding to do so. Our folks have a little bit of difficulty because it's when they're in um, withdrawal all the time. They're not eating well. They're homeless. Um, so that can be an issue. So we really talk to our folks, uh, you know, there, there's a little bit of a difference, obviously, between the newer user. Um, we talk to folks in couples a lot, and primarily it's females who don't inject themselves. Their boyfriends will inject them, so we talk to them right away upon intake. If you don't inject yourself, you either need to push forward and not use opioids anymore, or you need to learn yourself because that could be a control issue. What if he goes to jail? What if he uses that against you? And so kind of having those realistic conversations with folks. Um, we also talk about um, getting your syringes first and then buying your drug. Um, just kind of managing those little, the wake up. Because if you are in withdrawal or dope sick and you get your drugs, then you'll use any needle. You know, we want them to use a sterile needle. So really talking about what management looks like. The average injector injects heroin about three to five times a day. It's not surprising you're already in withdrawal in the morning. Um, and so what that looks like to manage it as well. Um, Part of harm reduction is, you know, we meet them at where they're at in the spectrum of change and what's realistic for them today. I will only bring that up if we can kind of see that through the intake or the questions that they have. They thirst for the knowledge. Um, sometimes they know everything, which is fine, especially the 18 to 24-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a nice learning opportunity as well because when we do vein care, when it's one-on-one, -on -one, we do that out in the middle of the drop-in where other people who may have been scared to ask for that will still be able to learn it kind of on the outskirts. So yes, we, we totally kind of every stage we, we talk to folks with, but, but primarily the managing your use and then also um, the kind of control issues that can come along with not being able to inject yourself. Hi there, thanks again for having this symposium. It's been a great learning experience. Um, my name is Stephanie, I'm an ER physician, and I started um, prescribing Suboxone in the past year, and it's really been a very rewarding experience, and I think it has affected my, my ER job as well. Um, just do you see the Suboxone becoming something that ER physicians might be able to start patients on in withdrawal? I mean, I know, I think one of the rate-limiting factors is the number of medication-assisted treatment clinics. Um, but how can we facilitate that? Um, my colleague and I are actually starting a Suboxone clinic coming up in the next few months. Yes. Where are you located? <laughs> we don't know yet. Okay, I look forward to knowing that. <laughs> We're Thank still you. working on that. Um, but, um, I mean, if there's a way, I, I, it's, it's a, almost a daily thing where you see someone coming in in narcotic withdrawal and there's just no way for them to go. And they're already at the point in, in withdrawal where they could start the Suboxone but the ER physician can't give them any, and they're just gonna use by the time they get to a Suboxone clinic, even if it's the next day, so. Uh, 
let me just comment. One, my hat's off to you for what you're doing. I think it's phenomenal. I, I want you just to think of a world that's just a little bit different than where we are now. Mm -hmm. That every emergency physician was an expert in managing acute pain. Mm -hmm. That everybody went to alternatives first. That we gave Suboxone and we assisted people in getting off the highs and lows and the dope sickness. And we uh, created a situation where if they couldn't get into detox, that we would assist on continued Suboxone or whatever the correct management is. Mm -hmm. We could change the world uh, in a way that no other specialty can. Yeah. And what you're doing is transformative. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Little understood fact is that uh, we've been through this before. If you look back about 120 years, we had a similar enormous opioid crisis in, in the United States at the turn of the last century, where we had almost, I think, similar rates of uh, community opioid addiction. And it was in an era sort of when there really were no other alternatives to opium. We, they'd gone through introduction of morphine, which was thought to be sort of to cure people of their opium dependence, and that we're in these cycles. And there was an enormous push amongst the American uh, medical community at that time to better educate people about restricting and limiting opioid prescriptions, which were being prescribed for everything, for like sleepless babies and and you know insomnia and teething and all these crazy things yep. and some of the great slides that i think people put up historically for those things and then through education there was this dramatic fall off in opioid use in the united states and prescriptions among physicians so physicians are eminently trainable i mean we've been trained before so we really can <laughs> probably change our practice around this This question, this question is for anyone up here who is attempting to initiate this um, uh, mitigation to the opioid crisis. Has, there, has anyone noticed any resistance or blowback from pharmaceutical companies or anyone in general in this specific effort? Yes, so, historically. Yeah. I put up some numbers in terms of the hundreds of millions of dollars I put up a slide that showed the hundreds of millions of dollars that would be spent by pharma. And they do it overtly and they do it clandestinely. They have stocking horses that they use in terms of nonprofits. And as I say, they have lobbyists in every state capital in the U.S. trying to fight any legislation that's brought up that might in some way bring some sanity to the use of, of opioids. So, yes, there is there's great pushback. Recent article by the Associated Press where a member of Congress talked about how she wanted to pass some legislation and they showed up in her office and explained how much she would be losing in terms of donations. So yes, blowback. Yeah. And, uh, and I think also, I, I mean it when I say we're addicted to opioids. When I talk with fellow physicians, uh, a lot of them don't want to learn how to treat pain differently. They've been doing it for their whole career where they've been given opioids. That's when I say that we're as addicted to this as our patients are. That's right, we are. And that's where we really have to take it upon ourselves to recognize how dangerous these are. And then want, thirst, crave to really change our practices. Because we can, we can do this. We've done it in the past. We can do it again. And brave people, where, where's the Suboxone clinic starter? You have to talk with me afterwards, please, okay? 
people like that, doctors who take it upon themselves, who see, who see the suffering that their patients are going through, and tell themselves, we can do this better, there's a better way. There's agents out there that we can do this with. I mean, those are the type of doctors that are gonna change this epidemic. So my hat's off to Stephanie. There's papers, too, that back that up. There's a huge paper from Yale that basically says we treat people in the ER with Suboxone, and you know what? They go through less withdrawal. They're not gonna go home and overdose that day because they're dope sick, right? This makes sense from a scientific basis. The only thing we need to change is our culture. Hardest change there is, change your culture, but we gotta do it. If not, people are gonna continue to die. Um, as a nurse at the bedside, I find that um, I've been a nurse for six years and I think my compassion is still there. Um, I feel like I connect with my patients really well. I struggle immensely with that population of people that comes to the emergency department and um, they're not heroin addicts, they're um, prescription opioid addicts and the only thing that's going to fix them is more opioids. And um, I love the fact that we're doing this. I've, I've been on board for since I started. <laughs> um, and I love having more tools in my toolbox, but any sort of advice that I can have from you guys as far as how do I have those conversations and how do I deal with those patients when they're throwing themselves around the bed and nothing's going to deal with them except for more, you know, nothing's going to make them better except for more narcotics. Um, let, let, me, let me comment because I think this is a very critical and excellent question that you asked. Um, when somebody presents to the emergency department and we call them drug-seeking, what that means is they're coming there seeking drugs, very simply. But there's many reasons why, they're, why they come to the emergency department seeking drugs. It may be because they're undertreated and that they do need more drugs. It may be that they ran out of their medications and they do need more drugs and they're getting sick, they're getting dope sick. Chronic pain is a whole different animal and it's something that is very difficult to manage in the emergency department. <coughs> I have tried um, people who I believe are legitimate I've tried admitting them to my observation unit. I tried figuring out what their optimal opioid uh, morphine equivalent dose was, changing their medications around, and I've had some success, not a lot. But remember, I do palliative care, so I'm used to switching opioids and doing that type of thing. And I've had some success, but I believe there's an opportunity, not for the average emergency department, but I think in the world of, in the house of medicine, to start managing chronic pain so that they don't have to come to the emergency department drug-seeking. It is a major problem, and I don't want to say it's not. Um, in my, I have a large clinic population, and they get clinic appointments every six to eight weeks, but their prescription for opioids, if they're on them, they only get 30 days worth. So what do they do? They come to the emergency department seeking drugs, but it's not their fault. Um, maybe it is, I mean, it's our fault that we put them on opioids possibly to begin with, but it's not their fault that they ran out of their meds because the system didn't allow it. Uh, so I feel bad for those people, and I do find some success in putting them in my ops unit. Um, usually it takes more than 24 hours, but changing around their meds completely and getting them out. Do you escalate opioids for them? Usually I don't have to. Usually, well, what I have to do is I have to find out 
what their um, morphine equivalents that they need every day total to maintain normal function, because I want to get to them to function, and then I divide that up into a pain regimen for them, sometimes with a long-acting, and I give them some breakthrough meds on top of it. Uh, but I manage it uh, as they should be managed with chronic pain. I, I did want to develop um, um, contracts with people like they do in the pain clinics that if they're coming to the emergency department, I'm going to drug test them. If I see on the, on the physician um, uh, monitoring program that they're getting drugs elsewhere, then they're out of my program and I won't help them. Um, but I don't see that the ED, I think the ED can solve a lot of the problems. I don't think our palate is such that we want to do that. Um, but it can be done. Um, and as I always say to my guys, uh, if not us, then who? There's nobody else in the community that can do it, but we can. Uh, but I appreciate your question. Nurse to nurse. <laughs> I just, um, something that I see working in corrections, you probably see this in the ED too, um, sometimes a problem that feels this big maybe made out to be this big, and I think a lot of that has to do, and I, and I, I think this would be applicable uh, to folks who are struggling with prescription um, issues, addictions, as well as people on the street with heroin issues and whatnot. When you're not heard, when you're not listened to, when your pain is minimized, or when your issue is minimized, um, and people who have a lack of really good coping skills or communication skills, they tend to really, really, really escalate. And at least for me in my practice, it's been helpful to, to try to, to kind of put a wall there and keep that in mind. Like this isn't anything that I'm really gonna fix, but I can see that it's this big for them, so I need to bring it down in, in some sort of way. And sometimes if I work with how I'm reacting internally, it helps me to um, respond rather than you know react with the patient and just doing something with my patient to validate whether it's looking them in the face whether asking you know exactly where the pain is some of those questions about just asking those basic questions if I'm asking that in a way and I'm really giving doing eye contact and whatnot to make sure that they know that they're being heard sometimes just when I can get through to them so they see that they're being heard it seems to make a big difference I don't know if that's helpful at all Uh, I think this is one of the most difficult patients that we deal with in the emergency department. Uh, it's something that adds a lot, of, a lot of angst to our practice, a lot of frustration. Um, and I think, you know, there's no magic formula for that. Um, even if you're the nicest nurse in the world, with Shannon, you're right up there at the tops of them. Uh, you're going to have people who don't like you because your, your practice isn't going to be that you're giving them all the opioids that they want. So I think, and some of it is, we help absolutely everyone that we can. We really do. But for the people that we can't help, we have to, we have, to have the grace to know that you still have to have, try to help everyone else. And that doesn't mean that you don't try to help that person. I often, for those patients, if you've worked with me, the first drug I give them is Haldol, because there's a big emotional psychiatric component to that escalation. And also, Haldol is a pretty damn decent pain medication, you know? Uh, so that's at least my practice, is I empathize, I walk out of that room, you guys get to give some help, though. And, uh, and then we go back and we see if we've made a difference and if we can have a more fruitful discussion once that person and us are ready to, to listen. So. 
Thank you so much. We'll have folks around. Enjoy. We got some space. We got some, probably got some drinks left. And uh, again, thank you, everybody. Thanks to our speakers. Yeah.